All right, so we are uh, going to lower these legs here so we don't end up with this thing flying away on us. There, that should do it. All right. Woohoo! <laughs> Fun times, friends. Amen, indeed. We've had uh, a lot of interesting things happening here on site. So uh, for those who've been listening um, and you didn't have the lyrics come up for the music, that's because I put the controller in my pocket. Um, So that's always fun. We are in this uh, series, Infinitely More. um, And I am just so thrilled at how, how God is showing me more and more of the the plans that he has but i still recognize that i'm only getting a fraction of it right that as much as we might think we know god's plan it's just the beginning it's just a glimpse there's way more that he's up to that we're not seeing and so our theme verse is out of ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 now all glory to god who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now, if you've got a Bible, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I think those speakers will be okay. Just in case, you're going to hold on to them? Okay. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. As you're turning there, I was uh, reflecting on how Um, When we go camping or something, um, if it starts raining or blowing or having kind of nasty weather like this, uh, I was talking with Tina about it this morning, that we just go, oh, well, we're going to get wet or it just is what it is, you know. Uh, We don't cancel the camping trip because of bad weather. Um, But realizing how um, I would be much more prone, I think we're going to need to mute a couple other microphones. Okay, thanks. I'm hearing the wind and the mics. Uh, But we are not used to having to have challenges in our worship gatherings. Right? Church usually goes really standard. I show up. I usually park in the same place. I sit in the same seat. Uh, Everything seems kind of normal, right? Uh, I I can expect that there's going to be songs at a certain time. There's probably certain people that will usually share or not share. Um, we just get used to a certain rhythm. And then we move outdoors like this pandemic has caused us to need to do. And, and then we go, oh, well, it's, uh, it's cloudy. I probably shouldn't go to church today. And, and isn't it interesting how in the workplace, man, for construction guys, it doesn't matter what the weather's like. You go to work. You go through all kinds of sacrifice and hardship. You know, for, for moms, uh, for teachers, for regardless of what your profession is, you know, the, the, those in medical profession, the, the threat of virus didn't keep you home. You leaned in and you went for it and, and you were needed. And, and you're, we are willing to put up with so many inconveniences, so many hardships, so many struggles. And then when it comes to, well, let's gather together as believers to worship Jesus, a lot of people go, ah! maybe next week and it's a pretty sad state of affairs if that's the nature of the church these days how anemic and and how weak and emaciated 
the body of Christ has become. I don't know if you've ever seen someone who's actually in starvation. But it's, it's a horrific looking thing. And spiritually, I think a lot of believers are starving to death. Because they're not feeding on the word of God at home alone. Or with their family. They're getting one meal a week. And they're barely getting by. So it makes sense that, well, you know, if you've never had true fellowship, it, it's not a big deal. I don't really need to go to church. Uh, we'll catch it next week. Because most believers, I would say, in our country, I can't say most, I've observed a lot who haven't really experienced the benefit of fellowship. This is a bit of a side note here, but we're going to go for it anyway. Um, So I've had some pretty difficult challenges personally this last few weeks. And and I got to get on a, a Zoom call with my accountability group from college. Uh, we've kept up all these years and and being able to just share the struggle that I was currently in with these guys that are not around here so there was you know more freedom to share and I'm, you don't have to worry about that being gossipy at all um, just like hey this is what's going on and and be able to have guys that have known me for nearly 20 years and we've walked through lots of stuff we were in each other's weddings we've uh, met each other's kids. Um, we've been there in high, hard times, in good times. We've celebrated together. We've mourned together. The first miscarriage that Michelle and I had, uh, I called these guys and wept over the phone, even though they were in different parts of the country. Um, you know, in deep, deep grief, these have been the guys that I called out to. And and so in in this call that we got to have, we started up a, a once a month uh, Zoom call now. There's true fellowship that happens. And they were able to, one of them in particular says, you know, in, you know, what is it, 18, 19 years of knowing you, this is what I know to be true. And, and he just spoke life. And had we not been intentional about getting together every week in college and, and being intentional about not just having coffee together, but actually being honest, then the healing that happened this week in my heart from these guys would not have been able to be possible. So that's a little sermon before the sermon. There is, there is such richness in our gathering together. And so whether it, it, even if it's in a digital format, like we, we need one another. So in our, our text here, I hope I, I give you enough time to get there. <laughs> Ephesians 3.20, now to him is able, this is out of the New King James, a a different version that I read earlier, to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in all generations forever and ever. Anybody know what he's talking about beforehand? Look back at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, so this is Paul talking to believers in the city of Ephesus, to grant you believers according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more. Do you get a little bit more of Paul's heart for believers here? You start to get a sense that that Paul is convinced that there is so much more in this relationship with Jesus that the, this small group of believers hasn't even scratched the surface. There is so width, height, depth. There's more, guys. There's more that you haven't even tasted, haven't even seen, haven't even imagined. Don't miss it. And I will say in, in my terminology, don't settle. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for weak sauce. You know, I, I want the full meal deal. I, I want the burger, the fries, the milkshake, and the toy to go with it, man. You know, I want it all. Amen. Now, to God be glory. And it's His work within us. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. We're going to look at several things that Jesus said he will do. Now, if we're looking at now God who is at work within us, he's going to do immeasurably more than we could think or imagine. Well, what's he already said he's going to do? Because that's a good place to start. I don't want to have vain imaginations of who Jesus is and what his plan is. I have to start from where uh, what I know to be true. Jesus has made some very specific statements about things he's going to do. So we look at that, and then we can let our imagination go, and then know that God is going to do even more than that. Okay. So if you don't start with the Word of God and what He has said He's going to do, then you'll get mixed up. So in Matthew chapter four, verse nineteen, Jesus has told Peter, "I will show you how to fish for people." We talked about this a few weeks ago. So there's this amazing catch, but Jesus is transforming Peter's role and his identity and his whole life saying you've been a fisherman now I'm going to show you how to fish for men you know, follow me that's the call follow me and I will show you this week as I was hiking up in the wilderness and, and reflecting on these passages that we're going to be uh, looking at this morning I was struck about man it's Jesus is going to show me how to do my calling so you could take this for yourself, I think, because you know, as Peter was called out, Jesus is saying, the thing that you've become comfortable doing and know how to do, I'm, I'm going to teach you how to do something else, but I will show you. And I was like, wow, that means like for, for Peter to be shown, Will, you have worked with construction guys. And you ever got an opportunity where you got a new guy, a green guy, and he's like, here, let me show you how to do it. <clears throat> and then you hand him all the tools and step back. That's not showing him how to do it, right? Or, or, or has anyone had this frustration in you know, you're trying to learn something new and somebody's like, oh, here. And they give you the, the tools and say, do it like this. And they just tell you and you're a visual person and you just, just show me. Do it so I can see it. And they're like, well, if you, okay, so... Or people telling me directions is worthless. Okay, so you're going to go down this road, and then you're going to go left at the, you know, the big box store, and then you're going to turn right at this, and then look for, there's a goat on top of a car. Turn right there. 
like, I just, just go, let me follow you. That's going to be way easier. Just show me how to get there. And every once in a while, I've been in one of those big box stores, and instead of the person, uh, I was like, hey, uh, you know, you're in Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, and I'm looking for a part or a uh, piece, and, and there's the, the certain staff people, they're like, okay, so go down this way to aisle whatever. It's about two-thirds of the way down um, on the third shelf, and they get all these instructions like, can you just walk me over there? Just show me where it is. And then I'm so thrilled. Yeah, there goes our tent flying away. Yeah, James. Jesus is like, I got the whole world in my hands. And James is like, yeah, help me out with this speaker. Hey, yeah, you were right. I was wrong. Not the first time, won't be the last. Did this thing shut off? No, I think. No, something happened. Oh, so I bet you that unplugged. Check one, two. Yeah. Did it just unplug or did it break? Unplugged. Check, check. Hey, there we go. We're back. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Man, this is fun. Uh, we can take it all the way down, yeah. Or you can pull the stakes and just collapse it, too. Oh, does this normally stay on there? Yeah. Yeah. Yay, love adjusting. Okay. But I love when someone just shows me how to do it, right? They show me where it is. They're like, oh, follow me. This one verse here in Matthew 4 is encouraging to me because I don't have to figure it out by myself. Jesus is not saying, okay, so I have this plan for you. Let me explain it. I'll summarize, and then you go figure it out. <laughs> no, don't do that to me. Like, show me. And, and Jesus said, I will show you how to fish for people. He will show each and every one of us how to fulfill the ministry that he has for us. Next verse. In Matthew chapter 11. Yeah, we're going to... There's a little button underneath there that you push in and then the... There we go. Yay! Thank you everyone for helping. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, I will give you rest. I love the combination of these verses. The first verse, I'll show you how. And then in Matthew 11, Jesus is saying, I'll give you rest. Anybody need rest sometimes? Oh, man. And I love that he is giving it. He didn't say, you can earn rest. Think about that. We are so backward. I'm backward. I think that I have to earn my rest. And and if I don't get enough done during the week, that, well, I got to work harder through the weekend, get it all done, and, well, I didn't earn my rest this week. So I just got to launch into the next week. Jesus says, I will give you rest. This is a bit of a side note, but in Genesis chapter 1, it says there was evening and morning the first day. So the day starts in what period of time? The evening. 
How much work can you get done at night if you don't have electricity back in creation? At the beginning. Can't get nothing done. So the first day, Jewish calendar, even to now, starts in the evening at sunset. So you begin your day in rest when your work is complete. Your day starts. I've ended the day and I'm starting a new day in rest. The first thing that you do on the, in, the first, in that new day is eat the meal you've already prepared. So there's no work happening. And then you go to bed. Jesus says, I'll give you rest. And then as believers in a Western materialistic, capitalistic culture, we then continue to work six, seven, eight, nine, ten days in a row, 12, 14, 28 days in a row. Well, I'll take a vacation when, and we're so stressed out and we're so uh, out of practice in real rest that by the time you actually do take a vacation, it takes you seven days just to get your head out of the job in time to go back to your work. Now, maybe you're blessed to get two weeks off, so you actually have rested for about five days because by day 10, you're already starting to run on the hamster wheel about how you're going to get back into the swing of things and you're ramping yourself back up. That is not the way Jesus intended you to live. He said, I'll give you rest. It's a gift. And it's a gift that you get to enjoy every single week, so take it. And there's infinitely more. You know, he's got more. He can do more in you not doing than you can do with all you're doing. Right? So we just, oh, I'll show you. And I'll give you rest. What a great place to start. Next, John chapter 6, verse 37. I love this too. Because a lot of us deal with rejection issues. A lot of us have had people mistreat us, misunderstand us. We've had uh, father wounds and mother wounds and parents who've abandoned us and weren't there for us when we needed. We've had good friends who've betrayed confidence. And Jesus says here in John six thirty seven, I will never reject you. Man, that was a a balm to my soul this week. Wow. No rejection. Now, we're pulling these verses out of order from how they were probably delivered in Jesus' life. But just think about that progression here. I'm going to show you what to do. So you haven't done anything yet, right? Now rest. And I'm not going to reject you. Have you done anything yet? (laughs) I think so often we are are driven by this performance-based acceptance. That if you perform, then we'll love you. Then you're valuable. And Jesus doesn't see the world that way. That's not how God created things. He made everything. Nobody does anything. And he says it's good. Creation hasn't, the man hasn't produced anything when he's been created on day six. He says, and it's very good. Adam and Eve didn't do nothing yet. 
And then the first day that God walks in the garden with Adam and Eve is spent in his Sabbath rest. Imagine how much in your life would change if you started from a place of rest. If you started recognizing that God Almighty is still on the throne. He truly is sovereign over all things, every detail of your life. And so I can wake up in the morning not anxious, not spinning, with a breath and a knowledge that God started the day when I went to bed. He's been sustaining it while I've been asleep, and all I'm doing is joining Him in what He's doing. Wow. And, and I love a term that one of my professors used that, you know, how do we enter into Christ's non anxious presence? I'm super anxious about a lot of stuff if I'm not careful, way more than I would like to admit. But when I can take a step back, when I recognize that and I get off the hamster wheel, and I, I'm referencing that because we have two hamsters at home and hamster wheels spin all night. Long. That's why they're in the basement, where I can't hear them. <clears throat> but like when we can just step back and go, God's got this, and own that, like really believe it, let it sink in, allow the Holy Spirit to minister that word and that truth. So back in John six thirty seven, Jesus says, "I'll never reject you." Man, you don't have to perform to be loved by God. We did a youth retreat one time, and uh, we had this super tarnished silver uh, pitcher. And we asked the kids, it was all black. I said, uh, anybody have a guess about how much this thing's worth and where we got it? Like, uh, you probably bought it at a garage sale on the way over, you know. And, and they all guessed it was worth like 50 cents, you know, maybe a couple bucks at a garage sale. It's just ugly. And it's like... Anybody know that this is actually silver? Like, what? No way! Junior junior hires had never seen silver before. (laughs) And so then we get out the polish, and we start to polish this thing, and it just glows. It's just gorgeous. Said so. Whether you recognize it or not, this thing's worth about four hundred dollars because it's made of silver. Doesn't matter what it looks like. It is silver, even though it's tarnished, even though you think it's ugly, it has value because of what it's made of. And the same goes for you and I. Yeah, you're tarnished, but you're still valuable. And as we come into Christ's non-anxious presence and we rub up against Jesus, knowing that he's not going to reject you when you come to him, He polishes, washes, makes us more visible for who we really are. And so in John 14, 21, another I will from Jesus. I will love you and reveal myself to you. So I'm not going to reject you. I'm going to love you and I'm going to reveal myself to you. John 14, 21. So, another promise that as I come to Christ, He's not going to reject me. He's going to love me. 
and he's going to help me understand who he is. See, a lot of us, we have a thought about who Jesus is, but if you haven't spent time with him to get to know him, your thought could be wrong. And if you spend your time in this anxiety about whether I I look good to God and if I do the right things and all this, you'll miss it. So just recognize that he's going to love you. He will. And he will reveal himself to you. Then it gets crazy. John 14, 14. Look at this one. Oh, man. This is probably one of the passages in the Bible that is most challenging for me to believe. You're like, what, there's something that's hard to believe in here? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of hard things to believe in the Bible. But this is, I think, near the top of my list. John 14, 14. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Do we believe that? Woo! Now, there's something important that we have to understand that frames this. The in my name part. So, we don't have a really good framework for this understanding uh, for us as Westerners because um, there's... We don't have kings and things as much. And you know, in the name of the king, you might see in some you know, medieval movie or something. So I think the closest we get is the Bible also uses the word ambassador. So think about an ambassador going to a foreign country. So they are representing the United States. They're representing the will of the president and, and the will of the people to that nation. And so they're going to stand before kings and presidents and rulers And whatever they say is in the name of their sending country, right? And if an ambassador is speaking their own will and not representing their home nation and the interests of their home nations, they're not going to be an ambassador very long. So this in my name thing is in the authority of representing me. So get this, God in heaven has picked you and said, I want you to represent all my will, all of my intention, all of my plan to the people that you meet. You are my ambassador. And so I want you to operate in my name, in my authority in the world. And so Here's how this now makes more sense and how it becomes easier to grasp is that when I am in the name of Jesus, when I'm asking for things in his name, it's I'm representing heaven. What is in the best interest of God and the kingdom of heaven? What is it that he really wants? And then I can ask for that thing that is already his plan and will. And I should, as James has preached many times, I should have an assurance and a confidence that he will do it. He cannot, in fact, not do it. It's the will of God to do this thing. And if I'm asking in accordance with his will, then I have a guarantee he's going to do what he wants to do anyway. And and we've quipped, if one of my kids, uh, if I say, hey, would you go clean your room? And then they turn to me and say, dad, can I go clean my room? I'm going to say, yes. Right? Right? That was my will anyway. <laughs> and so when we, we can ask anything in the authority 
that has been granted to us as rem representatives of heaven. And I'm thinking heavenly. I'm thinking eternal. I'm thinking God's plan, God's will. Like, huh, yeah, God wants this person saved, wants this person to experience a healing touch, wants this person to experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And, I say, and then I can pray, Lord, according to your will, by the authority vested in me. You familiar with those terms? By the authority vested in me? There are certain positions where you're granted an authority and your word matters in that moment. When the judge says, you know, I pronounce this. When a, a preacher at a wedding ceremony says, by the authority vested in me by the state of Oregon, I now pronounce you man and wife. That, that word changes reality. And the same goes for you and I. That when we are under the authority of heaven, we can speak things that were not and they become. That's crazy. That's exciting. And that's way more than I can think or imagine. And why in the world would the God of the universe trust me with that sort of relationship? Not power. It's relationship. Because you're not going to know what to ask if you're not in relationship. So this is not a power you wield. It's a relationship you live. But this is so hard to grasp that whatever Jesus wants, and as he speaks it to me, I can speak it into the world and it will become. That is crazy. Then I love this one. As a pastor, this is near and dear to my heart. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. Whew, like, that takes a huge load off. Jesus is building the church, not me. Not you. You don't have to worry about the results when you share your faith, when you tell somebody a, a testimony of what God has done in your life or this week or what you've read in the scripture. Like, man, I was praying this morning and this is what God showed me. You don't have to worry about building the church. He's going to do that. You just be a faithful witness. The next one, John 16, 7. If I do go away, Jesus says, in John 16, 7, then I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. See, in the context, I'm going to turn there and get some more of the context. It's important for us to see a little bit more here of what's going on. So it's John 16, 7. Turn there with me if you'd like. Jesus is telling the disciples in verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. So Jesus is returning to the Father. He's saying, none of you ask me where are you going, but because I have said these things you're, uh, to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This passage here, Jesus is, is also saying that you know, we, we have an opportunity. We have a connection with God through the Holy Spirit. That is that he's going to comfort us. He's going to guide us in all truth. He's going to also empower us for the work that we've been called to do. And we see that take place later in Acts 
we're coming up on what is known as the day of Pentecost. Uh, Jacob and I were talking about it this last week, how at that time in Acts chapter 1 and 2, you see this, uh, the Jews have come together for a celebration. Jesus has told the disciples to wait for this gift of the Holy Spirit, which will empower them to be witnesses of what they've seen and heard. And then we see that major persecution and struggle comes. And yet, with great power, signs, wonders, miracles, and courage, the disciples lived out their calling. And so, we, we go back to the beginning. That we have Jesus saying all these things. I will show you how to fish for people. I will give you rest. I'm not going to reject you. And then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And then finally, in John 14, 3, I will come back. This kind of gives us the broader picture that Jesus not only has come to live, to die, to rise again and ascend to heaven and then send the Holy Spirit to help us through this life, but we have a hope of his return. Where... He came as king of the universe and they crowned him with a thorn crown and they put him up on a cross rather than on a throne. And when he returns, he'll judge the nations. He's going to come back. And for those of us who are in relationship with him, we look forward to that day, not in fear of judgment, but in recognition that we have a savior and that he's paid our penalty and we are right with God and that we have eternity together with him so how do we pray how do we wait how do we live the disciples were curious about this prayer life and Jesus gave instruction in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 Jesus has been giving uh, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount he's given a portrait of what believers' lives look like. And it's not what you'd expect. But then it comes to teaching them to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He begins the prayer. We've been talking about what he said, I will do. And here in the prayer, he's teaching, not my will, but the Father's will be done. He exemplifies that in the garden at Gethsemane before his crucifixion. And we as his followers should answer in a similar way, I will. And so when I think about where God is leading us as a congregation, in the experience of the fullness that God has for us. These unprecedented times that have been spoken of on every media outlet and in every source you might imagine, um, everybody's talking about new normal. I think God has a new normal for you and I. It's not what the media is talking about. It's what his word's talking about. It's about a life filled with power. Not to do what I want, but to see God's will done in the world. To be part of something that is so much grander than I could ever imagine. 
to literally represent heaven, to speak reality into existence, that is mind-blowing. But where do we begin if not in this simple prayer? Not my will, but yours be done. See, this is the real challenging part of it all, is that if I'm not willing to let down my will, well, I can expect to live life as I've been living it. Same input, same result. It's not going to change. The system doesn't change unless the input changes. And so we have to change. Not my will, but yours be done. I feel like that is the prayer for us as a congregation this week. It's something we're going to be talking about. If you'd like to join us for uh, lunch here, we're going to have this conversation about what is God's will for us moving forward. I don't want to just keep the same form and miss it if God is asking us to make an adjustment. If he has something different in mind, like these last many weeks being outdoors is not what I had planned. I did not wake up Christmas morning and think, you know, I think this new year is going to be different. And then that whole week start thinking and planning about, oh yeah, in a few months we're going to do this six or eight weeks of outdoor church. Nope, not in my mind at all. And when we didn't, when we had our first Sunday outdoors here, I did not imagine the people that we'd meet. Folks that have been walking the sidewalk and stop in the shade of a building to listen to the sermon that never would have walked into a church. And who knows how many people, like I even see now, off in the distance, there's people that probably can hear my voice right now. And if you're listening and you don't, you're not part of the, the gathering right up here close, I'll just speak to you folks who may be a few blocks away hearing me. Jesus died for you. He died for me, and he has a completely different life that he wants us to step into. And the first step is just surrendering to his will. And that starts with trusting him. Now, I don't trust a chair. If I don't trust a chair, I'm not going to sit in it. (laughs) We didn't trust our shade awning that was blowing all over the place, so we took it down. You know, trust affects the decisions you make. And sometimes we say we believe, we say we trust, and we have to just step into it. And as we started all this, just lean in. I've been feeling over the last couple of days, as the Lord has furthered the message here, that we need to start, start this even this morning. And this might be uncomfortable for you. Maybe you've not just kind of sat to, to hear from God before. Um, if you're used to church, you might call this an altar call. But I feel like God wants to speak to us in very specific, profound ways for us personally. Not, not for getting something done. Um, and I challenge us all to kind of let go of what plans you might have for the afternoon. Like, can we give this moment to the Holy Spirit to allow what is the Spirit of God to speak to us? It's a scary thing. What, what might he say? 
And if he says something that's going to make me uncomfortable, well, now I'm accountable to doing it. And that's, that's part of the problem, why I often will avoid time with God, because I'm afraid of what he might ask me to do. But if we don't, what's that cost? If I don't hear from God, what's the cost of that? If you don't, what are the implications and the ramifications if we live our lives having not heard from God? So hopefully we'll have some music to, oh, that's not going to work. I just realized. Never mind. So we're just going to do a, a moment of silence. I will. Can that be your answer? I've been challenged with this. To decide on my answer before God gives me the question. So let's take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, I just pray over all of us this morning, all who are listening to the sound of my voice, God, that you would speak. It's your voice that gives life. It's, you, it's your word that transforms us. It's at your word that we are called. At your word and your life, death, and resurrection that we are redeemed. So God, I, I don't want to just be convincing. Lord, we need to hear from you. So, Lord, we just pray that right now, as we take this moment of silence, that you would have your will be done. Your will be done in our hearts, in our minds, in our situations. So, right now, as we just submit our hearts to you, God, that you would speak and that we could answer, I will. So you can just right now whisper your prayer to God. Start this conversation.